Hallelujah, we have made it to March. We are coming out of this miserably snowy winter, and I don't want to hear anything from you, Laura Johnston. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, here with the snowbuff, Laura Johnston, and the much more sane Layla Tassi. Happy Tuesday. <laughs> Happy Fat Tuesday. Mardi Gras. Fat Tuesday, indeed. Yeah, it's nice to finally get to March. All the good weather is ahead. When do we turn the clocks ahead? That's like any week, right? I should know that. I can oh, tell yeah. you by the end of the podcast. It's like <laughs> one of the best days of the entire year coming right Wait, up. Is that lose an hour? That's lose yeah, an you hour. lose an yes. hour, but but come on, you get light <laughs> at the end of the day. It's a great day. I'll take right, the hour. <laughs> sleep. We got some stuff to talk about. It's spoken like a true mother. Exactly. Of three. <laughs> what do people who are tasked with staging the elections across Ohio have to say about the ramifications of the everlasting fight in Columbus over gerrymandering? Layla, now the elections are in crisis. Yes, yes. The, the, this, the gerrymandering shenanigans have cost us precious time. And now bipartisan election officials at Ohio's 88 boards of election are joining the call for state lawmakers to postpone the election. Leaders of the Ohio Elections Officials Association wrote a letter to Ohio Senate President Matt Huffman on Monday, and they said that even with the new state legislative maps that the Ohio Redistricting Commission approved last week, they still can't prepare in time for the May 3rd primary election because they don't have the full details they need to to program their voting machines. Meanwhile, state officials still haven't approved congressional maps, which have, you know, they, they have said they, they plan to do this week. Other election deadlines already are, you know, out the window. And the Ohio Supreme Court still hasn't decided whether or not to improve these these new maps, whether they're constitutional. So inevitably, inevitably you know, the, the uh, elections officials are saying there's going to be mistakes, lawsuits, voter confusion. They said, quote, critical functions such as ballot proofing and testing of equipment will necessarily be, be delayed and then rushed. The result will likely be mistakes in the election. This is not how we want to do business, but it's the only option currently left open to us. That is so doom and gloom. So, well... I, I do. I posed the question to you all this morning. What is what is in it for Matt Huffman and Bob Cup to have a failed election? Do they want to in some Trumpian kind of weirdness? They want it to fail. They want it to have problems so that they can then argue that elections don't work in America and they're being stolen. I don't get it. This is an easy decision. Get the legislature together, move the election to July and we'll be fine. Do you think, though, but, it's, it's really a question of like, do they want the elections to fail or is it the other way around that they want the pressure of the, those elections to just force? everyone to accept these maps like let's just that, get through it and and but that's sign not off. working i mean that's not working look i do think the supreme court's going to accept the legislative maps because they mostly meet what the constitution holds we'll talk about this in a little bit yeah. but and if they get the congressional maps done in much the same way they did the legislative maps they won't work with the democrats they'll be all sorts of sleazy but they'll meet the letter of the law then we'll have them. But but that still doesn't give us enough time. It's two months away now. And and the elections officials have no reason to lie about this. They've got to stage this thing. Matt Huffman and Bob Cup should just get their folks together and move it. The fact that they won't raises all sorts of sinister questions. Look, these guys are bad guys. They have been bad, acted in bad faith pretty much since the day they started walking on this earth, it seems. But certainly during the gerrymandering fight, they have not done one thing in good faith. They've been sleazy and sneaky and 
and and peddled a bunch of horse hockey about what they're doing, they could do this right. They could they could not make a crisis for Ohio voters. Why aren't they? I don't know. I mean, only the state legislature has the power to move the election. They're dominated by the Republicans. You know, they would have to. You know, it requires a law change with two thirds majority of both the House and Senate to, you know, to take effect in time. And they're just the Republicans are really reluctant to do it. So I don't know. I don't know what's at play party wide here. But but but, you know, say there's a Republican representing Hudson. What's in it? For the Republican in Hudson to have all the voters mad at the legislature for screwing this up, I would think that they would not want to answer to that anger. Why aren't they going to Bob Cup and Matt Huffman and saying, cut it out, you villains. Let's do this right. right. I mean, personally, I don't think it's a matter of, of, you know, wanting the election to fail. I think it's that they're trying to hold the election hostage. And, and to get the map approved as expediently as they can. <laughs> that hasn't worked once. I know. I mean, they're the, not going to give the, up the ship now. They're, they're committed to this plot. <laughs> but what is the definition of insanity? <laughs> Keep doing right. the same thing yeah. over and over and expecting a different result. The Supreme Court has spoken. They've said, hey, guys, don't tell us about your crisis. Change the date. It's in your power. So I think there's something more nefarious behind this, but we haven't figured out what it is. You're listening to Today in Ohio. So it's not our imagination, Laura. Northeast Ohio has seen a big increase in earthquakes. Should we be worried? It is not our imagination because for a while we were like, wait, there's an earthquake. Wait, there's another earthquake. There's another earthquake. There have been 10 so far this year in Lake Erie, just north of Lake County. I'm not particularly worried about this, even though scientists really don't know what's causing them. And they don't even really have a good guess. Uh, The largest of the tremors was 3.0 magnitude. That was January 4th. The smallest and most recent was 1.2 magnitude on February 9th. And while it's not unusual to have earthquakes in Ohio, there were about 57 last year. There were only three in Lake County last year. And having so many in one area in quick succession is really kind of strange. So the folks at the ODNR are kind of scratching their heads and they don't really have a good answer. They, their best idea is that this could be um, a spate of aftershocks from a earthquake that was a 4.2 magnitude in Eastlake on June 10th, 2019. But that's really far out to have aftershocks. Yeah, and the one thing they said is it, it could be the continuing release of pressure from when the glaciers receded in Northeast Ohio. Right, and that's 10,000 years ago. I'm like, come on, really? That's all of a sudden we're getting a bunch for that? I don't know. They say, yeah, nothing to see here, folks. Don't worry. But there have been some massive earthquakes in regions that don't generally have them. What was the big one that hit the Midwest, like in the 1810 or 11? That was the... The, the big monster. Pete mentioned it in his story. But then they had one, what, in Maryland or Virginia a few years back. Yeah, it was, was Virginia, and it, it was felt, it was 5.8 magnitude in 2011. It was felt as far away as Canada. It damaged the Washington Monument and the National Cathedral in D.C. So, and that's not a place that you think of for earthquakes. I mean, these are not California areas. Um, high water could be playing a role. Obviously, we've had really high water in Lake Erie. We're not at the same record that we were in 2019, but it's still high. That's a possibility. They don't believe it's fracking, which is mostly happening in the Mahoning Valley, and they think that's too far away to be causing this. So they're still looking into it. Right now, they have some 
uh, monitors in the ground at Lake Erie Bluffs as part of the Lake Metro Parks. But that's two miles south of the Perry Nuclear Power Plant. And there's some in East Lake. They're shallow and they they get muddled by activity above ground like manufacturing plants. So they're going to replace them with much deeper sensors for allow, allowing for more accurate readings and one in Ashtabula County too. But it, earthquakes are, are more difficult to predict than, say, the weather. So this right. is a It's, it's always interesting to mention earthquakes in proximity to nuclear plants. Gives you a lot of <laughs> safety. The idea that we hit the record, serious record high watermark on the lake and the extra mm -hmm. weight that would have put on the land throughout, and now it's being relieved as that, as that uh, declines. Maybe that that's causing the shifts i don't know it's a it, it's a fascinating story with what they speculate but it is kind of frightening that they really have no idea even though they're telling us nothing to worry about let's hope there aren't many more you're listening to today in ohio what are the people who have had success twice in getting gerrymandered legislative maps in ohio thrown out by the state supreme court have to say about the third set of maps layla they were filing their Objections on Monday. Yeah, those groups are objecting to these maps, too, and they're suggesting workarounds that the Supreme Court can follow to bypass the Ohio Redistricting Commission altogether. The two sets of plaintiffs in this case are a local affiliate of the National Democratic Redistricting Committee. That's led by former U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder. And then there's the set of advocacy groups. There's a third set led by the Ohio League of Women Voters. They all had until Monday morning to file objections to the maps. Secretary of State Frank LaRose on Saturday announced he had directed county elections officials to to go ahead and take the steps they have to take to place state legislative candidates on the ballot under the lines that were approved on Thursday. So the groups in their Monday filings were asking the court also to block that until all of this is is, uh, you know, this review by the court is is complete. The the maps the redistricting commission approved on Thursday give Republicans, of course, that 54 percent to 20 to 46 percent edge that seems proportional but the groups that are objecting say they're only nominally proportional because the democratic leaning seats of those 26 are toss-up districts which means that they favor democrats by three percentage points or fewer if republicans were to win all those seats which they could do <laughs> if they just have that that you know red wave they talk about they could win up to 74% of state legislative seats, which would just increase that, you know, that veto-proof majority. And, um, you know, because there are no corresponding Republican-leaning toss-up districts, Democrats could get a 3% surge and win no additional seats. So that's, I thought that was the clearest explanation I've seen of why those toss-up districts matter so much. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit surprised that they're recommending that the court take control because the constitutional yeah. amendment really does not allow for that. The court's power, it, I do believe, is just they can make them go back and draw new maps. And so that'll be the decision. But to have the to say the court should take control, the, the wording of the amendment was very clear that they can't do that. They can't draw the maps themselves. They Their power is to reject them. So the, we have three days until the redistricting commission lawyer files a response to this and then the court would rule. So we could have the court ruling by the end of the week to either check these maps and go to round four or accept them 
and head into the congressional redistricting than that. So what do you think about this this alternative uh, plan that they're suggesting? You know, they're, they're pushing the court to consider a map plan drawn by Jonathan Rodden, the Stanford University political scientist working for the Holder-led national redistricting group. And Rodden's plan <clears throat> would still give, you know, a considerable edge to Republicans, but it's much more balanced, much more even-handed in those toss-up seats. And, you know, obviously the court can't draw maps itself, but the, the group of advocates suggests this workaround for that. Apparently the court had said in an earlier that an earlier version of that Rodden plan was constitutional. So they, you know, should potentially rule on whether this version is also constitutional, then ask the commission whether it plans on adopting them. And, you know, there's an interesting, um, you know, prescription for how the court can can kind of work around that. Uh, but it, go ahead. But it can't. I mean, you don't think look, so. Uh, the chief justice is uh, has been a stickler for the rule of law. She, I mean, that's what she does, and she's very proud of the time she's been chief justice that they follow the law. Anytime you say the the court is partisan, she says no, it's not. We act on the law. The law did not give the court the power to pick the map. The law gave the court the power to rule on whether the maps created by the legislature or the redistricting commission meet the requirements of the constitutional amendment. I I don't believe O'Connor would allow the court to put a heavy hand on and say, no, that's the map. You have to approve that map. That's not the job they were given. It's very specific. And she doesn't look for loopholes. She follows law. And look, she, the language of the most recent thing was like, hey, guys, it's not crisis. You can change the date of election. Go back and do it right. If she buys the argument that these are still gerrymandered and, and rigged politically, which I don't, I, I bet she doesn't. But if she does, they have to go back and redraw the maps. Then they could bring in the map you're talking about but i don't believe the court has the ability to just say yeah we don't like this map go with the other one well i mean so you still feel as strongly as you did a few days ago that this set of maps is is uh is on the money that meets all the the constitutional muster it's not perfect but it is proportional they did provide something that frankly 10 years ago would have been a dream for democrats that they and i don't know that the argument we're only favored to win by three percent or less so so we're vulnerable is going to matter a whole lot it's like okay hmm. but you have the edge go win them <laughs> get real candidates if you lose it it's on you because you blew it you know, and so I we'll see. Look, I you can't predict she, if she decides this is still gerrymandered, she will, you know, put her fist down and say, do it again. She's very firm. She's been great. We're going to miss her when she's gone. And if Sharon Kennedy is a replacement, we're going to be in trouble because right. she's pretty partisan. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What's the latest and possibly final word on a controversial proposal to convert a hunting valley mansion designed by the Van Swearingen's? Into condos. Laura, we haven't talked about this in a long time, probably about two years. What's the latest? No condos. Cuyahoga County Common Pleas Judge David Mattia wrote this opinion on Thursday, and he's siding with the village, says the zoning laws in Hunting Valley are constitutional, and therefore there's no right for Sylvia Corey to have a variance. She wanted to renovate this 55,000-square-foot home called Roundwood Manor into six condos, and the village said no because they require you to have five acres of land for every home in, in Hunting Valley. 55,000 square feet. It, I mean, 
think about it. That's like one and a half of LeBron James's house. Like that's massive. And turns out the house was originally actually bigger. This architect, Philip Small, designed the manor for Oris and Mantis Van Swearingen in the 1920s. And then when Vernon Stouffer, the president of Stouffer Corporation and a former owner of the Indians, bought it, he reduced it by 35,000 square feet to its present size. So this is massive. Sylvia Corey has owned the house since 1988 and has been trying to unsuccessfully to sell it since 2002. I feel for her because who is going to buy a house this big? And honestly, the photo of the outside of the house that we have looks, it looks like apartments already. It's this very basic red brick colonial with white columns that has been copied in a million apartments since then. Is there a single rental unit in Hunting Valley? Probably not. Yeah, I, I mean, that's what this is. This is, let's keep out the riffraff. We don't want renters in our hoity-toity community. It's fascinating uh, d- deprivation. And that's not even renters. Like, this is for condos. And if you had six condos and 55,000 square feet, you're still talking a massive home. They're saying it's for traffic reasons. They don't want to, in- you know, increase traffic <laughs> in the village because there are going to be six times as many people living there. Yeah. And also environmental reasons. But, yeah, I mean... It is hard. I mean, this is just such a massive home. It's not like they're trying to, like, you know, create a double, like, a Lakewood house. It's, it's, I don't know, mind-boggling. We're talking a lot, a lot about nimbyism lately in all of these <laughs> expensive communities. Hunting Valley doesn't want this kind of stuff coming in. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Bail reform and the new diversion center were supposed to reduce the crowding at the Cuyahoga County Jail. So why is the county preparing to spend a bunch of dollars for jail space in another county? Layla, we're going backwards here. We're not reducing the crowding. We're getting ready for more. Yeah, you know. And please don't say overcrowding. <laughs> the, the, the diversion center isn't really running at full steam yet. And, and there's this backlog of cases on the dockets after the Omicron wave. So that's clogging up the system. And then centralized booking is is what? Still a pipe dream? I don't know. So because no one knows yet what impact all of that will eventually have on the jail population, the County Board of Control had to go ahead last week and approve a purchase order for up to $275,000 to be able to transfer some prisoners to Geauga County's jail this year, just in case, basically. Initially, this raised some red flags for our county reporter, Caitlin Durbin, who wondered if this means the jail is bursting at the seams again. And the county says that's not the case. Sometimes transfer agreements like this are necessary for safety reasons, they said, to to separate inmates who might be involved in the same case or because of gang affiliations or when social distancing requirements dictate Uh, At that point or at the moment, you know, the sheriff's department has five inmates housed in other counties. Three of them are staying in Geauga at a rate of seventy five dollars per inmate per day. A fourth is being housed in Lorain County. And then, of course, you know, our former jail administrator, Ken Mills, is being housed in Portage County. I wonder what the accommodations are like for him there. Um, Anyway, uh, Common Pleas Court Judge Brendan Sheehan said he, he was under the impression that the renewal of this transfer agreement with Geauga County's jail is is for that purpose for safety, not to alleviate crowding. And on Tuesday, you know, last week, the county had reported 1,635 people in the county jail. By Wednesday, numbers had fallen slightly. 
um, but it was well below the state's recommended safe rated capacity of 1,765 and the county's rated capacity of 1,880. But you know, the need is kind of unpredictable. During the pandemic, the sheriff made the decision to temporarily turn some misdemeanor offenders away, but they expect that the jail population is going to rise again once those intake restrictions are lifted. And, and you know, like I said, there are so many unknown factors in the equation, the diversion center, bail reform, central booking, the pandemic. So the county is just trying to be better safe than sorry, I guess, with this, this transfer agreement. Well, one of the reasons we have these unknowns, and, and the former chief judge John Russo has pointed this out, multiple times now is there's no momentum anymore for bail reform and justice reform. While everybody says the words, nobody's doing it. There's no real work to get the lawyers in with the municipal court judges. There's no real work to get. They talk about central booking, but we don't have it. And so we've been talking about this stuff now for, I think, seven years. 2015 is when we started justice for all. And everybody says they want to do it. They want to really move forward and make the system fair and reduce the population. But they're not. Right. You know, Armin Budish isn't doing it. Brendan Sheehan isn't doing it. Michael Malley isn't doing it. Where is the real belief in equal justice? You're still penalizing people in poverty. Right, right. And and I don't know. For a long time, everyone was blaming the pandemic for, you know, derailing the system and the processes and expedi- I mean, it's just, you know, when when does that end? We have we should be adapted by now to what the the unpredictable nature of of living through the pandemic, and it's time to move forward with this initiative in in full bore. Yeah, I mean, John Russo, when he was chief judge, initially opposed it, but very quickly embraced it and was moving it during his term. Yeah. And it feels like the brakes are fully on now, and it's time to yeah, get it moving again. Where is the holdup? I want to know, like, where who is the leak? You know, the the weak link here. We, we let's get to the bottom of that. A lot of weak links. You're listening to Today in Ohio. How many all-electric endurance trucks is Lordstown Motors saying it will produce this year and next year at the former General Motors plant in Lordstown? And Laura, consider me skeptical. Yeah, I, I'm reading this story going, really? I mean, we've had a lot of talk about this plant over a lot of years, but they say they're producing test vehicles now. They say 27 are finished, and they plan to build 500 this year, 2,500 in 2023. And the idea is that these are the test models and they're targeting some long-term commercial clients. They want to introduce this truck in a limited way while they work on reducing the manufacturing costs. I don't know what the manufacturing costs are, but this is all coming from a call with the CEO on Monday. And trucks were originally expected to hit the road in 2020. The company didn't have any money. The, the CEO and chief financial officer resigned after questions about the number of pre orders it has. And they had a $410 million loss in 2021. Now they're negotiating a deal with Foxconn, a global electronics company based out of Taiwan. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm I, not lining up to buy a endurance truck from Lordstown Motors. Well, it's just we've, we've talked about this and talked about this, and there's been lots of promises, and we've talked about the fires and all the other things they've had. It's for them to come out and say, yeah, we're on again, we're on again. You just would like to see some real evidence of that, right? Because they're competing with car companies that are really moving ahead with electric vehicles. Yeah, I mean, I don't have an answer, but I'm standing in the skepticism with you. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. 
Layla, have our elected leaders in Cuyahoga County ever met a tax increase they did not like? I mean, I feel like every time we turn around, they're embracing a tax increase. I've never seen a candidate here run on a platform of, I want to reduce your taxes. Yet I hear from people all the time that they're feeling the pinch. The property taxes are up. Wage taxes are up. Sales taxes are up. And here we have Armin Budish in the county council talking about another tax increase to pay for the new jail instead of talking about selling the the ridiculous global center for health mm-hmm. solutions getting that cash and using that capital money to pay for the jail yeah right this so this is an idea that budish had floated back in in the fall but yesterday the county financial advisor bob franz told council members that before the county can take on additional debt to build this you know, $550 million jail, it first has to permanently extend a quarter percent sales tax that was supposed to expire in five years. And that would generate up to $52 million per year, which the county could use to repay the bonds once the taxes, other debt obligations expire in five years. That tax currently pays the debt service for the Global Center that you mentioned, and the Huntington Convention Center, the Hilton Hotel, and a portion of the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse renovations. It was the only revenue source proposed for the the jail project, other than roughly $9 million in annual operating savings the county expects to come with, with the new jail. And it's it's vital, Fran said, to prove the debt can be repaid before the county could consider issuing new bonds. The, the proposed tax increase, which only requires council's approval, so... It's not nothing that we can vote on <laughs> would keep the county sales tax rate at 8%, which is the highest in the state. And I will just tee that up for you. Go ahead. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I sent out a note this morning on the, the subtext account I have where I send a text about things we have in the works. And I, I said, do you think we should do a special episode on this podcast discussing all of our high taxes? And I asked, has there ever been a politician that ran against it? Lee Weingart has already responded twice saying me. He has a whole plan for reducing taxes (laughs) if he becomes county executive. So I guess it's going to be up to Chris Ronane to weigh in as well. Uh, I, I just it's one of those where you shouldn't go for the tax increase till you exhaust everything else. And we've talked last week about how the Adams board was squandering money on golf lessons and ballroom dancing. Is there any rigor to, to guarding the public dollars and how it's spent before you just get, get more money? I mean, Cleveland raised its income tax by a half percent a couple of years ago. And the sales tax is at its max in Cuyahoga County. And has anybody seen their property tax bill ever go down? No. Right. <laughs> it's just, and we're not even talking about the sewer authority and how it has just raised fees by probably a factor of five or six in the last 15 years. Anyway, lots of interest in this. And I just can't believe they're talking about it. I did love the moment in Caitlin's story <laughs> where when one of the commissioners or council people said, I think we should table this for now. She mentioned that Bill yeah. Mason, the chief of staff, made eye contact with somebody. Yeah, that like, was her Uh-oh. walk off there. <laughs> <laughs> she said it was, Uh-oh. we talked about it. I was like, how obvious was that was the look that they exchanged? She was like, they turned around and stared at each other and went back to the meeting. It was like a very clear, like, oh no, they're talking about tabling this kind of moment. Yeah, it was like oh. that. Uh oh, we're we're in the we're in the crosshairs. Right. Uh oh. So. <laughs> when you you posed this idea this morning, Chris, I was thinking about a story I wrote back I wrote a long time ago, and I I went back and found it at 2011, talking about all of these incredibly 
well, all of the taxes that we have. And it's not just how high they are. Like, it's the sheer number of them. Like, did you know that the city of Cleveland has a type of tax on video games? Uh, I mean, that was new to me when I reported this. And it's like we have admission taxes, video games, bed taxes, car rental taxes, parking taxes, vehicle registration taxes. That's for the city. Cuyahoga County has bed, cigarette, sales, and sin taxes. It's like if they can find a tax, like we're going to use it. And they never roll it back. I mean, it just is always going up. I think we should come back to that story because I guarantee you almost every tax you wrote about back then is higher now percentage wise than it was then. And again, I hear from people, they want relief from this and there's nobody that has run to offer them relief. So if Lee Weingart can make high taxes part of his campaign, I mean, he's a Republican running in Cuyahoga County, so he has like no chance of winning. <laughs> but but if he can spark that argument, I don't know, maybe. I mean, people are sick of the taxes and for the county council to be talking about raising taxes again without going back and looking at where they're squandering money, like spending $46 million <laughs> on the crazy med mart. That- an income tax has to be approved by the people who live in that town, even though it's paid by people who work in that town. But they can just raise, you know, like, in, you know, let the sales tax go on, raise the sales tax without a, an approval. I mean, yeah. there's a cap, right? They can't go above a certain percent, but we're the highest in the state already. Right. Right. Other counties around us don't. So it, it doesn't work when you buy a car because that goes back to the county where you I live. I know. But, <laughs> but for just about anything else, if you decided to start shopping across the county line across a year, you'd probably save quite a bit of money. Um, and, and it's just, it's again, where's the discussion? Because it is every possible conceivable tax known to human beings. We pay it here. And I've lived in a bunch of other places. That's just not the case elsewhere. Well, you know, that is another good moment situation. of Caitlin's story was when Councilwoman Nan Baker was like, is there any other way to do this besides indefinitely extending that sales tax? And she suggested selling the Global Center, as you mentioned, Chris, and was like, you know, how about instead of invest another $46 million right. into that, you know, money pit, why don't we just sell it? And the county was like, we never thought of that. And it's not on the table. <laughs> it's like, what? Well, they say they never thought of it. And our editorial board wrote pretty firmly a week or two ago, sell it, stop throwing money into that black hole. But just because you haven't thought of it doesn't mean it's not a viable idea. Yeah. You could be like, oh, well, that's interesting. And that is like prime real estate, prime place for law offices, right in the center of downtown, a very new building. They could get some money for that and spare the taxpayer. Certainly don't spend another $46 million on it because that's just going to be more taxes. Yeah. And then they'll need another. Then they'll need to update it again. Yeah, because right? once you're once you go, God, there's yeah, you can't. There's a point of no return. You can't then, after forty six million dollars more, say, okay, uh, let's cut our losses here. Yeah. <laughs> you have to just keep going. <laughs> all right. So, people listening to this podcast, let me know. Do you think we should do a special episode analyzing all of the taxes we pay in Northeast Ohio? Send me an email. C-Q-U-I-N-N at cleveland.com. C-Quinn at cleveland.com. Let me know if you'd be interested in that. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Layla. Thanks to everybody who listens to Today in Ohio. We'll be Can back I Wednesday. Can uh, March 13th. That's when the clock spring forward. forward. Oh, okay. <laughs> Less than two weeks. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>